Well, we've been working through some direct commands from the Lord that were found in the Gospels, endeavoring to fulfill what He's asked of us in the Great Commission, not only to go into all the world and preach the Gospel and baptize people, but also to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. These commands are in the Greek, they're called imperative mood, which means it's a command. If it's imperative, it's a command. And we often tend to vacillate when we're given commands. We want to know, should I do it or do I feel like doing it? But when commands come from the throne of God, and through the person of God, uh, they should be obeyed. And so, we need to understand that um, these commands, if we're really going to fulfill them, we're going to have to rely upon the Lord to enable us. And the commands are not just to the strength that we might have. Uh, they're not directed towards our abilities, uh, but they're commands that are directed toward, toward our hearts. And if we have a heart to do it, then the Lord will enable us to, to do that. This morning, we're in a very interesting passage and, and uh, a, a kind of... A, interesting command. Let's see where I should begin. Well, let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 11. <clears throat> and it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in, their sin in the cities. Now when John, that is John the Baptist, had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And so John is wondering, what's going on? Why hasn't the, the Lord manifest himself? And he's questioning if he's really the Messiah, if he's the Christ, when Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whomsoever shall not be offended in me. And so I said, go back and tell John what's happening, what's going on. And actually, this is a quote from uh, some, some uh, verses, more, I think more than one, a quote from the Old Testament of what the Lord was going to do. And he's fulfilling these. But, but as you study out those quotes, it's kind of chopped off in the middle. First half being his first ministry here upon the earth and the second half being when he comes again and so John John is not grasping the fact that Jesus had to first come to die and then he's coming again to reign and, but the Lord answers his question and John obviously is in prison uh, because of Herod and telling Herod it wasn't legal to have the wife that he had and uh, the Lord here makes some comments about John. And he said, As they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? What had happened is that many of the scribes and Pharisees had went to work for Herod, and when they went for work for Herod, uh, they received benefits, and that was soft clothes and food and, and those kind of things. 
Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. But what went ye out for to see, a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Very I send to you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Then the days of John the Baptist until now, and from the days of John the Baptist and until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And there, let me, my hearing aids are buzzing in my ears, so let me turn it down a little bit. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear, is the command that's found in this passage. And so he says, listen to what I say and understand the, the ramifications of it. Actually, maybe that should be written above, above on the back wall. When we come into services, we ought to come with ears to hear. And he said, if you've got ears and you've got a heart to hear, then hear. And so something, this is a command, so something is said in this whole passage that we've read here between verses 1 and 14 that we need to grasp the depth of it and what it's saying and the importance of what it's saying. And... Uh, and uh, apply it to our lives. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Now, there's a lot in there, but there's really two, two things, two major statements that I believe uh, we need to hear and get a grasp of. First of all, in verse 11, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. And so that ought to, if we have a heart to serve the Lord at all and be pleasing to the Lord, we ought to desire greatness in that spiritual realm. And so we're going to look at John and kind of try to find out what made him great. But he goes on to say that even though John was great, it doesn't compare to anything in heaven of anybody in heaven. There's so much greater in heaven. But surely there ought to be some things as we look at John that would cause us to examine our own lives and desire to be great. Now, we can't be as great as John because the Lord already said he's, he's going to be the greatest. But we ought to be able to glean some things from the scripture that would cause us to be like John. Uh, now there's a second statement, and we'll look at it next week because both of these are very in-depth. Um, the second one really probably more than the first one. It says in verse 10, he says, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. That John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Lord. What did he prepare? Well, another place you're going to find in the scriptures, he said he came to prepare a people for the Lord. And then if you drop down to verse uh, 13, he says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Now we know that, that, that uh, 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Paul, uh, all of these men, James, Peter, uh, all of these men were inspired, and so they did prophesy. But what he's saying, when, they, when you see those words, the prophets, for all the prophets in the law, prophesied until John, when the Bible talks about the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets, it's talking about the Old Testament and the, and the, and the economy, if we could use that word, of the Old Testament. When John the Baptist came, there was a ceasing of the law and the prophets, and something else has begun. He that hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He that hath an ear, let him hear what I'm saying about John. He that hath an ear. Over and over we see those, that statement, but it's important that we grasp that we need to, we need to comprehend what is what is uh, significant about that, and then align ourselves up uh, with that. But we're going to look first of all at that first statement in verse 11, that there's none been greater than John the Baptist. What made John great? We're going to, we're going to spend most of our time right here, but I think we can't, we can't help but go back to chapter 3 when we talk about the greatness of John. In Matthew chapter 3, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his path straight. So part of this, making the path straight for the Lord and preparing the way of the Lord, is this gospel message. And the same John in his raiment of camel's hair and leather girdle about his loins and his meat was locusts and wild honey. They went out of Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins, that they confessed their sins and were baptized. And you see, if you go on down, uh, verse 8, the scribes, Pharisees and Sadducees come out. There's no, there should be no confusion here about, about salvation comes before baptism because he comes, the scribes and Pharisees come out, we want to be baptized by you, John. We want to get in on this. And he says, verse 8, bring forth therefore fruits met for repentance that show repentance. And so what was great about John was that he understood and preach that a man must be born again, but it involves repentance. Many today in religious circles uh, fall far short of John the Baptist. Absolutely, repentance is necessary. That made him a great man. Isaiah says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he'll have mercy upon him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. You see, uh, you'll never be a great person in any fashion until you're born again. Corinthians says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. If you're not saved, if you've never repented of your sins, greatness eludes you. In fact, whether you're Donald Trump or, or um, any, any person of greatness in this world, Putin, whoever you think is great, if you've not repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it can be said of you and them, it would have been better if they'd never been born. There's no greatness in them. To live in this world, what shall a profit a man, the Bible says, what shall a profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 
Greatness begins with being born again. Puts you right there in the family of God. With claims upon the kingdom of God. And so, there's tremendous greatness found in him there. Now, back in chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, when John heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? John the Baptist, of course, you may know or remember that Elizabeth was a relative to Mary. And in the physical realm, uh, Jesus was the cousin of John the Baptist. We find, as we read there in chapter 3, that he came preparing the way for the Lord. And we find that in his ministry that John was very, very popular. He didn't go into Jerusalem. <laughs> Jerusalem came out to him. People came out to listen to him and to, to marvel at him and see him and, and what he had to say. He's at a low point in his life. He's doubting if Jesus is truly the Messiah. And so, uh, we're talking about greatness. They got the gospel right, and they've been saved. But the second point about what made John great John could overcome weakness. As we've said, he's at a low point. He's at a weak place. Circumstances outside his influences, a lack of information, being in prison, unfulfilled anticipations, dreams, you know, anticipating this is going to happen, have, has brought him to a place of doubt a place of confusion. He's perplexed. He can't understand what's going on. Anybody ever been there? Well, you will be. <laughs> if you haven't, you will be. What does he do? Does he sulk in prison? Does he just kind of drop his head and shuffle along and, and uh, lives like a man without hope? Does he despair? Does he go around and whine to everybody he sees? You just don't understand what's happening to me. Once I had thousands of people coming to hear me, and now I'm in prison, and I'm already in prison if it's because I told the truth. Well, how do you deal with discouragement? How do you deal with confusion? How do you deal with what seems like promises failed? Well, what you do, he was a great man because you, you go to the Lord. You go to the Lord. But also, there's a little more to this. 
He's sitting in prison. <laughs> He's questioning who Jesus is. And he, has to, he can't go to him. He has to send a message. And so, he calls two of his disciples to him. They outside the prison, he and, and he says, uh, boys, I'm pretty low. Boys, my thinking's really messed up. Boys, I need an answer. Now, come on now, a real man doesn't have to do that, does he? We're too spiritual to tell people that we're hurting. We're too spiritual to tell someone, I'm really questioning what, what's going on with Jesus. After all, I've preached here and ministered here 39 years at Plaquero Baptist Church. How can I go tell people, you know what? Um, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty messed up right now. I need for you to pray for me. How could I, how could, how could you expose yourself like that? Let me remind you that it said that Jesus said he was the greatest man up to that point in time. He was open and honest. And he was even willing to, you know, I could, here I'm going through hard times. And, well, you know, there's this preacher in Texas I really appreciate, so I'll call him and talk to him. But I'm not going to talk to the, the guy that's in my church because it's going to flow throughout all the church, you know. Bad news travels like wildfire. When I should be able to get up here or you stand up there and say, church, I'm really going through some hard times. Pray for me. And even say, this is where my problem is. Pray for me. That's where greatness comes from. You see, the people in the pew, your neighbor, <laughs> they need to know, whether you're in the pew or in the pulpit, they, the guy next to you needs to know, for a man, that you get up and put your pants on just the same way that he does. Somehow, somehow, there's a way in which telling people that we are struggling helps them more than we just keeping a step up your lip and they're looking over there and saying, I don't see how he does it. I don't know, I don't know that, that, that we need to share. And they need to be open. And so he sent two of his disciples. He was open and honest. about what he was going through. You see, uh, no one, no one ever becomes great on any level. No one ever becomes great on any level until he admits his weaknesses. Because those weaknesses <laughs> will just creep right in there and undermine your foundation and you'll tumble down. 
and the, and, the, and the prime candidate for the attack of Satan is one who cannot admit his weaknesses. Let's learn from John. He that hath an ear, let him hear that John was a great man. And he was great because he realized that <clears throat> by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's a verse we need to keep close to our heart. It's by God's grace that we are what we are. Now look at verse 7. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? They went out to see John. A reed shaking in the wind. Did they go out in the wilderness to see a man who had no backbone? Did they go out in the wilderness to see a man who had no spiritual convictions? Did they go out in the wilderness to see a man that was blown about by every wind of doctrine? No. They went out into the wilderness to see a man of convictions. A man of conviction. Our family was one of the very first families that got into the IDEA program when it started years ago. And the, uh, you can see shortly that the test for homeschool was going to be preference versus conviction. Oh, you prefer to homeschool because they're going to buy a computer for you. They're going to buy computer access and uh, buy you some books. And you can use that money to do special things and buy your kids footballs or whatever. Or uh, would you continue to homeschool if you never got a penny? That's the difference between preference and conviction. Convictions are something I'm willing to suffer for. Convictions are something I'm willing to die for. A lot of people like to die on certain mountains. You know, we have that term. Are you sure you want to die on that mountain? Well, if you're going to die on a mountain, make sure it's biblical. <laughs> Make sure your convictions are not mingled in with preferences. He's a man of conviction. Look over in chapter 3 again, and we read this, but I'll point out to you that again, chapter 3 and verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits met for repentance. Here these guys came out. They're wanting to get in on this. They're losing, their, <laughs> they're losing the people in the city and they're going to the, to the wilderness to hear him. And when they come out, he said, you bunch of snakes. A man of conviction. A man who wasn't afraid to take a stand. You bunch of snakes, bring forth fruit 
met for repentance. And then look over in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. This is after the fact, and that's why it comes so late in Matthew. The actual event took place way back here because when Jesus, here in the chapter, uh, the chapter we're in, chapter 11, uh, he's already in prison, and he's dead by this time. But he, he's having remorse. But he said, For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. Man of conviction. It's not right. And, and, and I get this sense of this is that I get this sense that Herod, Herod didn't go down and say, John, what do you think about this? What do you think about this, John? And he's told him. No, I think John was saying what Herod is doing is sin. He's a great man because he's a man of conviction. And let me say to you that there's few of those individuals around today. He wasn't just saying it in his own private congregation. He was saying it on the national stage. Now again, we go back to some of the things we studied. We need to be Wisest serpents and harmless as doves. But we need to stand also. John was a man of convictions. Do you have convictions about divorce and remarriage? Do you have convictions about repentance and faith? Do you have any convictions concerning alcohol? Do you have any convictions about the Lord's Day? Do you have any convictions about local church truth? Do you have any convictions concerning what you let enter into your life through the eye gate and through the ear gate? The Southern Baptist Convention has always been one that's started out wrong, <laughs> and there's been there's been many people saved, but we've come to a place in the Southern Baptist Convention where they're ordaining women, and uh, things have gotten pretty bad. But at a certain point in time, the Southern Baptist, well, Southern Baptist Convention has always met, and they've chosen a president of the convention. And at a point in time, they were really pushing a man from Memphis uh, named Adrian Rogers, who was holding the line more than the rest of them. There was a big, there was a big uh, argument about whether the Bible is inerrant, whether it has some. <laughs> Can you even imagine that, being a part of anything like that? But... But they were fighting over whether there was errors in the Bible. And the faction that was opposed to that was, was led by Adrian Rogers. And they were coming down to whether they're going, who they're going to vote, how they're going to vote to president. And he won, but he only won by 1%. It was 50, 49 to 51. But before the vote, a man from the liberal side came to Adrian and he said, he said, <coughs> You need, to, you need to cooperate here. If we don't watch out, the Southern Baptist Convention is not going to survive this fight. To which Adrian Rogers said, the Southern Baptist Convention doesn't have to survive. I don't have to be the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church. 
I don't have to live. But I'm not going to compromise God's word. Greatness. Comes to a man. Who has. Convictions. And then back again to our text in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 8. But what went ye out for to see a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. As I said, some of the scribes and Pharisees had went to work for Herod, and they were in the king's houses. They were wearing their finery. They were eating at the king's expense. And John the Baptist wore camels hair, clothes, camel skins. He ate bugs and honey. Locusts and wild honey. And he asked them, did you go out there to see a man clothed in soft raiment? Did you go out there to see a man typical of a court court person, person from court, who operates in the palace, who favors the king, who does whatever you need to do to get the royal favors, a man who lives a luxurious, self-indulgent life. Did you go out there to see a guy who plays to the court, who seeks the favors because he wants to pad his seat? No, he wasn't like that. Self-denial. He was a man that no matter what it took was going to be the minister of God. He was a man that was willing to pay the price and not compromise and not quit. He was a man willing to deny himself and take up the cross and follow the Lord. Greatness will not come until we're willing <laughs> to put ourselves last that we're willing to deny ourselves and take up the cross. What's the cross for? Oh, it shows that I'm suffering for Jesus. You don't know how much I'm suffering for Jesus. I'm bearing this cross. No, the cross is for crucifixion. And I must crucify myself. I must deny myself. I want to do this. I want to, I, I, you know, and... It's, 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 not, it's not something that is going to further the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. He was a man of self-denial. And the Lord says at the end of all this discussion of John. He says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear a command. I want to go to another place in the scripture in Luke chapter 3. He's a man of self-denial. He's a man of convictions. He's a man that was willing to talk about his weaknesses and go to the right place. He's a man that preached the gospel 
But in all this, and over all this, you've seen it creeping through, but it's more defined here in Luke chapter 3 and verse 16. John answered and saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latches of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John said that he wasn't even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals and take his shoes off and well, maybe he'd probably, that would end up in washing his feet. He was a man of humility. And self-denial is a part of that. <coughs> a man of humility. And Jesus said of him, there's no greater than John. In John chapter 3 and verse 30, he points out Jesus and he said, he must increase and I must decrease. The way to go up is to go down. And as we begin our day with devotions and I enter my office, maybe the most valuable prayer could be, Lord, may you be magnified today and I become insignificant. Because you see, when I want to increase, it blocks off the Lord. He's a man of humility. Great men understand the necessity of humility. Douglas MacArthur was one of the great World War II Army generals what his spiritual condition was, I'm not sure. But he had a prayer that he pinned and wrote out and it was kept and people recorded it. A prayer for his own son. And this is what it said. Build me a son, O Lord, who will be strong enough to know when he's weak. We saw that. And brave enough to face himself when he's afraid. One who will be proud and unbending in honest defeat and humble and gentle in victory. Build me a son whose heart will be clear, whose goal will be high, a son who will master himself before he seeks to master other men. Isn't that something, huh? That we might master ourselves before we try to master other men. No one has respect for those kind of men that won't master themselves when they try to master them. Who will learn to laugh, yet never forget how to weep. One who will reach into the future, yet never forget the past. And after all these things are his, add, I pray, a good sense of humor so that he may always be serious yet never take himself too seriously. Give him humility so that he may always remember the simplicity of true greatness and the open mind of true wisdom and the meekness of true strength. Then I, his father, will dare to whisper, I have not lived in vain. Pride has been the rune 
of many a great man. Proverbs says, when pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Proverbs says, pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride says, Proverbs says, a high look and a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked is sin. First John tells us, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. God's program with humility comes promotion. Humility and promotion. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. There's always been a verse, I don't have it here, but it comes to my mind, there's always been a verse that has uh, terrified me. Even as his child, trying to do the work of the Lord when really I'm way out of balance. And he says, uh, <laughs> I talk too much. Um, God resisteth the proud. They give the grace to the humble. That God can actually, the, the God that I need, the God I can't survive without, he can actually hold his hand out to me and resist me because I'm proud. Shouldn't that terrify you? I fear going out the front door if the Lord's not with me. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resists, oh, there it is right there. God resists the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Who shall therefore so humble himself as a little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Look over in Matthew 20 and 26. Matthew 20 and 26. Twenty-five says, But Jesus called unto him and said, You know that the princes and the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. That service and ministry goes hand in hand with humility. How different the Lord views the world. He does not see greatness in fame and fortune, but he sees greatness and the humble heart. John said, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And Jesus said of John, he's the greatest man. And so we're left with searching for the truly humble man today. Where is the man willing to give his life for another? America has ceased to be great because we've grown proud in heart. Let us not forget the judgment of God upon a nation the judgment of God upon a nation does not begin in Washington, D.C. or Juneau. It begins in God's house. 
For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey, the, obey not the gospel? Now this thing about humility, my time's nearly out. It's not beyond your reach. The Lord says, humble yourselves, humble yourselves, humble yourselves. And what enables that to be more effective is for you to do a study in theology. Just theology, not theology as a whole realm of things, but the study of who God is. It'll humble us. Pride defiles a man, a high look and a proud heart and a plowing of the wicked is sin. And so we come to this inspection. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Well, we've heard that John was a great man. He understood and had received salvation by repentance and he preached repentance. He was a man who could admit his weaknesses and even share them with his subordinates and say, listen, man, go, go talk to Jesus and see if we can find an answer. He took it to the Lord. He was great because he had convictions. He's not a reed blowing in the wind. He was great because he could deny himself. And so... He that hath an ear, let him hear what, this, what, uh, what is said of John the Baptist. He was a great man. And maybe between services or after you go home, if you thought about this, that you ought to desire to be a blessing and to be a great man in the eyes of God. Next week, we're going to examine what is this all about? And why did he say, he that hath an ear, let him hear? What is this about that he came preparing a people for the Lord, John the Baptist, and that the law and the prophets were until John, and then something stopped with that Old Testament economy, and something else began. And if it did begin, and I'm going to try to convince you that if something quite different did begin with John the Baptist, then we need to be a part of it. You're dismissed.